Happy Sabbath, Advent Hope. Am I on? Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, for some of you, you do not know who I am, and that's okay. Um, I used to attend Advent Hope from 2007 to 2015. Anybody around during that time? I know some of you were. <laughs> and there is one thing that has remained besides some of the people. The logo, I'd like my claim to fame with Advent Hope, is that logo is partly my doing. I did not make it, but I sanctioned it. So <laughs> I got somebody else to make it. And I was on Ecom back then, if you don't know what that is, Executive Committee. That's what we called it for short. And um, so that has lasted. That's kind of cool to come back every once in a while and see it. Um, myself and Janie Yu were the two that got that um, made. I don't remember what it was before. I think it was a little plant or something that we used before that. But um, I want to thank you for inviting me back. It's funny. I never, nobody ever asked me to speak when I actually came here. I had to leave, and then they <laughs> invited me back, which is nice because then it meant, you know, maybe some of you missed me. So I'm glad to be back. Um, I want to do a little activity. I'd like everybody to stand up just for a second. So everybody stand up. Okay. So once everybody's standing up, is everybody standing up? Okay, now I want everybody who's married to sit down. You know why I did it this way? Because I knew none of the single people would stand up if I asked you to stand up. <laughs> so I just want you to look around the room, see who's available. <laughs> no, that's not why I did it. No, this sermon is for you. That's why I asked you to stand up and stay standing up. You can be seated now. Not very often do you get a sermon made just for you, so that's what I'm here for, to give you your sermon today. But it's for other people, too. It's for everyone, actually. And I want to I pray just real quick before we start. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that um, you've given us the Sabbath, that it's a day away from everything else, um, that you've given it to us because you've thought of us and that you love us. And it truly is a gift for us. So, Lord, thank you. I ask that you would speak in and through me, through your Holy Spirit. And I ask these things in the loving and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So, when I was a student here, um, I, I was a counselor. And then I obviously went and did professional counseling after that. And one of the first questions that a lot of my clients would ask me is this question, are you married? And I kind of didn't like that question because um, when they asked it, my title is actually licensed marriage and family therapist. And so when I would answer the question, no, I am not married, they would look at me and they would say, well, how can you be a marriage and family therapist if you're not married? Do you want to know my answer? Sometimes if you ask, get asked a question long enough or often enough, you get to come up with some really good answers. And I used to tell them, you know what? I have no biases. I don't have any baggage, so I'm not going to bring any of that in here because I'm pretty, you know non-biased in this matter so I can only tell you what is what the truth is not from my own perspective and they look at me oh okay because some people they'll give you advice based on their own personal experience and that's kind of biased so I was happy that I could give them unbiased advice that came from the research and was truly helpful and came from God's Word too um, is this showing? Okay, good. So today I want to teach you how to be happily single and how to wait for a relationship if you're not in one. And the reason I, I can actually tell you this is because um, I know some of you don't know how old I am and it's dangerous to do that, but I'm actually going to tell you. I'm 47 years old and a half. And... <laughs> And I didn't get married until just over three years ago. So that makes me a very old bride. <laughs> Not really. I don't feel old, but I, I didn't get married until I was 44. And I thought for many years that God had set me apart to be single so that I could share with other people how to be happy while single. 
because I was actually happy. I think that's a good basis for getting into a relationship is being happy first. So we're going to talk about some of those things and I'm going to teach you some things that I learned. I was telling Reed earlier I should have been asked to do this talk when I was actually single. It might have held a little more clout, but I can still tell you the things that I learned. So one of the things that I learned when and this is also from being a therapist too and watching a lot of relationships not be healthy is I learned that many of us when we're single we have never done a values assessment have you ever done a values assessment to s truly sit down and ask yourself what is important to me and here's a list of things and these are some of the reasons why i think these questions are really helpful to ask yourself the first one health do you know that not everybody thinks the same things about health and they don't value the same things about health some people think health is you know eating a plant-based diet other people think health is going to the gym every day for three hours a day lifting weights. But something happened at least three years ago that also brought up another health issue. And that is, I'm going to say it, vaccines. Do you know not everybody agrees on that? <laughs> You're laughing probably anxiously. <laughs> Because what happened in a lot of families and even marriages when that topic came up, now I'm not going to get on the topic any more than that, but a lot of families were split, a lot of people were split because of that issue. Do you think it's helpful to talk about some of these things before you get married or to at least figure out what you believe and where you stand on these things? Because what happens if you meet another lovely person but you don't agree? On this and I've heard quite a few marriages be strained because of these issues that they didn't talk about these things beforehand and their marriages were not so healthy in the midst of COVID how about money does everybody agree on money what's one of the main reasons why people get divorced financial stuff yeah it's a good idea to figure out what you believe about money do you believe in donating a lot of money do you believe in saving a lot of money those types of things. How about security? Security can be money. Some people, their security lies in how much money they have in the bank or how much is invested. Some people's security is just having a home. That can be security too. Identity. I've met people that, you know, aren't sh sure who they are. And so that can be a hard thing. Intelligence, you know, education, things like that. Politics. I had a couple back in 2016. What happened in 2016? Anybody remember? There was an election, yes. And I had a couple who had never really thought about politics until 2016 came along. And the husband decided he was a devout Republican and his wife decided she was a devout Democrat. And after 30 years of marriage, they were struggling with their marriage because they had never talked about this sort of thing. They didn't think it was a big deal. And part of our counseling sessions had to do with who could listen to their news station and who could listen to their radio station each day because neither one of them wanted to hear the others playing and the people talking on it. How about spiritual beliefs? This is obviously the most important one, but where do you stand on this? And I do know that even dating apps sometimes have options for this. Like how important is your spiritual life to you? And they'll even match you with people based on this. But do you know how important this is to you? Do you know where you'd compromise and where you wouldn't? How about family? Some people are very independent of their families and some people their family is every single part of their lives. And then there are people everywhere in between. How about country? Some people are very, very country-oriented. Anything for America, and some people in America even are all about the country they came from. Where do you stand on that? Job, how important is that? Do you have a steady job, or do you kind of jump from job to job? How about community? How important is the community? Friends, self-respect, honor, and even sex. What do you think about this? 
Where, what is your values with this? This actually leads to another, re, some research that just came out recently. Did you know, um, this is according to BYU, people who wait for sex until they are married are three times more likely to have higher stability in their relationship. Now, it's not a surprise to me that BYU came out with this study. <laughs> but, but it's important to know these things. And some people, some of us, have compromised in this area. Maybe it's been important to us, or we thought it was, but how truly important it is to us and how willing are we to live by our values. And Titus 2.6 says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Did you know the Bible talks about things? Sometimes it doesn't say it outright, but it actually is talking about promiscuity, sexuality, and things like that. We just don't always understand, oh, do you know what else this includes? And so self-control is in all areas of our lives. Some people, I, I know Dr. Nedley likes to call this comprehensive self-control. Some of us have self-control in some areas, but not in every area. And I believe this term, self-controlled, in Titus, is talking about in all areas of our lives. We need to be self-controlled. Another thing that's important when you're single is to learn healthy boundaries. This is one of my favorite topics to talk to people about. In fact, I spend a whole week talking to my group, my depression and anxiety group, because I notice that a lot of people have trouble with depression and anxiety because they don't know where to develop boundaries in their lives. And these are some areas that I especially find are important when it comes to boundaries. One is guilt. I know that sounds like an interesting thing, but did you know there's two types of guilt? I actually have a whole talk on this that I, that I give. There's two types of guilt. There's appropriate guilt. That's when I've done something wrong. And then there's inappropriate guilt. And that's sometimes when other people like to project their guilt onto me. And some of us are confused about where we are guilty and where we are not. And we take other people's guilt that's projected onto us and we assume that guilt is ours and we don't take responsibility for our own guilt. So some of us need to learn boundaries like where is my guilt and where is another person's guilt? Because I don't want to struggle with being responsible for the wrong guilt and not being responsible for the right guilt. Also, what are your boundaries with the truth? Some of us say we believe something, but then when somebody else says something, we're, you know, we, we might not be totally convinced, but we don't know where to have a boundary with that when it's not the truth so as according to the Bible. So where do we stand when it comes to truth? How about love versus sympathy? Did you know that you can, you can be kind towards somebody without doing everything that they want you to? You can have sympathy for somebody without putting yourself in that person's life. I remember I had a, um, I had a situation where somebody in my life did something that actually uh, compromised my safety. They brought someone into my home and they didn't ask. This was somebody that I was living with at the time, a, a friend, and this person brought somebody into my house and didn't ask me if it was okay to bring this person. And this person was unknown to both of us. And I realized that the reason this person brought this other person, my roommate at the time, brought this person into our house was because this person felt you know, sorry for this person. And rather than recognize the safety concern, because they felt sorry, they decided to bring him in. And some of us, we feel, we don't know where Christian love versus boundaries are appropriate. And so some of us need to learn healthy boundaries. And just because we feel sympathy for someone does not mean we need to bring them into our lives to a certain degree. How about with people pleasing? Do we have boundaries when it comes to people pleasing? Some of us have been through traumas in our lives and we don't know where to stop versus um, where to please people. And it doesn't mean that we're being unchristian to do that. But did you know sometimes the best way to please somebody is not to do what they ask? Because what's better for them might be something long-term versus giving them what they want right now. And you might actually be pleasing somebody more by saying no versus saying yes because the long term they appreciate it. 
I've had many times in my life where I've had somebody ask for something or want something and you know I didn't think that in the long run that would be helpful. I like to call it um, microwave versus oven. Have any of you all have microwaves? Do you know it's ironic that people who have microwaves also have ovens? Why would you have an oven if you have a microwave? Microwaves cook so much faster because the quality of an oven is so much better, right? But that's the problem. Some of us are living microwave lives. We want to please ourselves and please others now, but we don't think about the long-term qualities of saying no or yes to something, even if short-term it doesn't make us happy. How about sometimes we personalize things? We make things about us and we need to set a boundary when we realize, hey, this isn't just, this isn't about me. This is for a larger group or this might be this other person's issue. And so we need to learn to set boundaries and, and personalizing things too. We live in a big, big world full of lots and lots of people and to think only about myself and how it affects me might not be a good boundary to set with myself. One of the other things that we need to do is learn. When we're single, sometimes this is the best time to learn. Sometimes learn about ourselves. Sometimes learn about other people too. We want so quickly, we live in a world that says, you know, you know, all we need is love, but sometimes we don't even know what love really is. We haven't learned it. And so there's times in our lives where, you know, maybe we're single because God wants us to learn these things. He wants us to spend time learning things that we wouldn't otherwise have time to if we were in a relationship. And so it's important to educate ourselves in new things. One of the things that I loved learning when I was single, I actually bought my first house when I was single. I paid off all my loans. It was a wonderful feeling. And I decided, well, I wasn't using that money anyway. I'm going to buy a house. So I bought a house and... It's a good thing to buy a house when you don't know what you're getting yourself into because there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. And I bought an old house from 1958. I loved the character of it, but it had a lot of things that once you get in, you start realizing, oh, I want to change this and I want to fix this and I want to do that. And there were some things that I was you know, figuring out and I realized I need a lawnmower and I need all these other things too for my yard. And the guy who actually sold me the house wound up living, you know, about three blocks down from me and came over and introduced himself. It was his grandmother's house and she had passed. And so he wanted to tell me all about the house. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. Well, he decided at the end of all of this that he was going to um, bring me his old, uh, he didn't have a lawnmower for me, but he had a weed whacker and a uh, blower that he was going to bring me. And I thought, oh, this is great. I don't have to buy these things. I'm going to, I'm going to get them for free. They worked fairly well. And when he came over, he was trying to show me how to use the weed whacker. And I could have just said, oh, no, that's okay. I'll just pay somebody else to do it. But I thought, you know, this is a really cool experience. I want to learn how to do this sort of thing and take care of my own property. I didn't have a lot. It was just a yard. But um, I, I watched him teach me how to do this. And you know what I found out? He was actually showing me how to put the plastic uh, string around the round thing. I don't know what you call it, the spool. It's the same thing in sewing. Did you know that? And I've sewn before, and I was like, this is like putting thread on a spool on the sewing machine. And I told him, and he looked at me, and he was like, huh? And I said, yeah, this is just like a sewing machine spool. You're winding the thread or the thread on it, just like, or the string on it, just like you do the thread. And he was like, oh. And then he, it was an electric uh, weed whacker and an electric blower, so I had to plug it in. And he brought a cord with him, too, a really long cord. I thought, this is great. I'm getting all this stuff. And then he showed me, he's like, you don't want to wind it up, you know, just wrap it around. You want to do this thing where you weave it in and weave it in. And I'm like, oh, that's like crocheting. And he was like, I felt like I stole his man card after that because he's trying to show, you know, this woman how to do all these things. But do you know what? I could have easily not paid attention and thought I couldn't do these things. 
but one thing connected to another thing. And I think it's really important, and even in Spirit of Prophecy, we hear Ellen White say that, you know, every woman should learn how to not change a tire, (laughs) how to hook up a horse to a wagon, right? Now, we don't necessarily have that in our day and age. We have cars, but do you think it would be important for maybe some of us ladies to learn how to change our oil? To be independent, to know how to do those things? There are a lot of people who get married, and then they get widowed, and they don't know how to do any of that stuff. But to be able to understand and know how to do those things can make you very independent. So we should learn how to do practical things. Take your single time to learn how to do practical things. Learn how to do things for yourself. That doesn't mean you can't ask for help, but learn how to do some things for yourself and make yourself you know, more independent. And also another thing that we need to learn how to do is to grow in our weaker spiritual areas. Do you know being single gives you a lot of time to grow? I actually, I actually credit Advent Hope for one of the biggest spiritual growths in my life. I got to do a lot of learning and growing here, and I don't know how exactly I wound up here, but I had a lot of good friends that we did Bible studies, and I came to after-church programs and and Friday night programs and things like that. I learned a lot. And to be honest, I didn't get a lot of spiritual stuff in my education here, but this was a wonderful compliment, Advent Hope to my education, so I was able to bring the spiritual things with the more secular things that I was learning. And I don't think that's the case for necessarily everybody who comes here, but that was something that was really important to me. Another thing that we want to do is learn to be productive. Some of us are waiting for marriage to start doing things. Don't wait. Do some really awesome things before. Be productive. You can go on mission trips. I know a lot of people do that. Sometimes that's even a way to meet people is to go on mission trips. But be productive. This is actually one of the things that I decided. When I was single, I I remember thinking to myself, I think another thing that's really important to do when you're single is to think. And fortunately, I'm a therapist, so I know how to think. So I do a lot of it. And one of the things I thought about was as somebody who was single, is, you know, what's the worst thing about being single? Not too many things besides you don't have that other person. But then I thought about, well, what's the worst thing about being married? Or what's worse than than being single? And most people would say being married to the wrong person. But that's not what I thought. I think God impressed me with something else. What he impressed me with was, it's not the worst thing to be married to somebody, you know, that you don't love. It was to be single and be pathetic. And have people think, oh man, maybe she would be better if she was married or happier if she was married. That was my biggest fear. To be the kind of person that people looked at and thought, oh, that poor woman, like, if only she was married, she could be happy. And it it dawned on me, I don't want people to look at me that way. And by the way, I was getting up there in age while I was here at Advent Hope. And so I thought about that. And a lot of people were leaving because that's what you naturally do when you're at Loma Linda and you finish your studies. You wind up leaving. But I was still here. And I saw people leaving and moving on. And I thought, oh, man, I don't want to be that old maid type that people just felt sorry for. And so... And not that I thought people were thinking about that, but I really wanted to make my life something that people wouldn't be tempted to think that about. And so I I worked on that. I worked on being happy, and I worked on having a life that was fulfilling and productive. And believe me, I had hard times. I had a very hard job while I was attending here. But I remember focusing on that. And do you know, it was really interesting because I had... After I had thought that and decided, purposed in my heart, I like to think, that I wasn't going to be an unhappy person, that I was really going to focus on valuing my time as a single person, would you know that two different women came up to me, totally separate, I don't believe they had anything to do with asking me this, on the exact same day, and they asked the question, oh, I I jumped ahead. Um, let me go back. I'll go back to that afterwards. 
They ask the question, do you even want to get married? Now, what single, how many of you ever asked, had that question asked of you if you're single? Okay. I was like, what? Of course I want to be married. Why wouldn't I? It's a beautiful thing. God made it. But I realized the thing they said after that, but you seem so happy single. Two people asked me that. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God was trying to share something with me. And, and I realized, oh, wow, God really has made me happy being single. I was very happy doing that. And one of the reasons for that, by the way, is, got to go back here, is that I was paying attention to things around me. I was learning and I was growing. I also learned, too, very early on, that do you, know the, do you know the most beneficial thing to relationships? One of the things, a word that we often think of when we think of, you know, connectedness is the word intimacy. And a lot of people don't realize that, that you know, there's an, act, there's an actual equation for building intimacy. There's three qualities that research shows builds intimacy. And intimacy isn't just related to things in the bedroom. Intimacy is the kind of relationship that um, Jonathan and David had, like that real closeness, that brotherly love, that sisterly connection. And that is positivity, con um, consistency, and vulnerability. Now let's look at those things. Do you know how many people in here like to be around negative people? Do you like being around negative people? Do you know that's, that's good because research says one of the ways to build relationships is positivity? How many of you think about that in your interactions with others? Do you try to be positive? Do you know there's a ratio for this? You should have five positives to every one negative interaction with others, with the same person. So if you start complaining, what does that mean you need to do? Stop complaining and start focusing on positive things instead. So you don't have to say, you know, I like your hair, I like your clothes, I like your eyes, I like your blouse or your shoes or something like that. And bo oh, by the way, let me talk about all the negative stuff that's been going on in my life. <laughs> that's not what that means. It means when you catch yourself being negative, try to go in a positive direction. That will make you more attractive in your relationships. The other thing is consistency. I'm from a world where there were no cell phones before a certain time in my life. And I remember if you made a commitment with somebody, you actually had to keep that commitment because there was no way to connect with that person to let them know you weren't going to show up. Does anybody remember that time? I know there are people in here that remember that time. Nowadays, though, you can literally be en route to whatever you're supposed to be doing, change your mind and call that person and say, you know what, after all, I don't feel like going. What does that do to that relationship? It's not consistent. That person can't learn necessarily to rely on you. But we also need consistency in who we are with people, too. And that has to do going back with our values. And so what does the Bible call this? Let your yay be yay and your yay, nay be nay. We need to learn how to be consistent. And some of us are too good at ghosting each other. We don't talk about things. We ignore stuff. We cancel at the last minute. We say we're going to do one thing, but then we do something else. Maybe something else more exciting comes up, and so we decide to do that instead. But we should really stick with the thing that we committed to. And that's part of being consistent. And then the last one is vulnerability. And when I talk to a lot of people about this, oftentimes what they think is, oh, vulnerability means I have to share all my deepest, darkest secrets with everybody. No, that's not what this means. Vulnerability means being your genuine self with other people, sharing who you actually are, not trying to be someone that you're not, even sharing your high moments. You know, if you have a friend and you want to connect with that person, sometimes being vulnerable is sharing an embarrassing thing that happened to you that day. That can be something that's vulnerable, but it doesn't have to be really, really embarrassing. It could be funny embarrassing, or it could be a, an award you got, or a praise that you heard somebody say. 
you can share those things. Those are also vulnerabilities that you can share with people too. It doesn't have to just be the hard, difficult, traumatic things that have happened in our life. And that's those three together are ways that we can build true intimacy in our relationships with each other friendship-wise, but also in the future going forward in our marriages, if we, if we so have those. But also we wanna be the kind of women that, would, that a man would want as a wife, within reason, obviously. And we also wanna be the kind of men that a wife, that a woman would want as a husband. Have you ever thought about, rather than just looking at the qualities of somebody else, have you ever looked internally and said, Is it, am I the kind of person that somebody would wanna marry? Because if I'm not working on those things, how attractive would I necessarily be to somebody else? And I think it's important to ask those questions, to be introspective. Spirit of Prophecy calls it being mindful. It's true mindfulness, paying attention to what I'm doing and how it affects others, how it affects me. That's being mindful. And then the other thing that I learned that made me happy too was to move. The way that I actually met my husband was because I decided, you know, I'm not just going to stop doing things because I'm not married. And I got involved in speaking and I met, actually met my husband in a little state called Wisconsin. I'd never been there before, but I was willing to do anything that God asked me to do. And so I went there to speak for their camp meeting in 2019. And I wound up sitting in the cafeteria. It was not the best food, but I was sitting in there and his brother came over and sat several seats away from me. And then he came and sat next to his brother. And that's how our conversation started. But how would I ever met him if I hadn't moved from my comfort zone? And I went to a little state. I was only there for two days too. Go figure. In this big old camp meeting, met somebody and... He became my husband. So I want to go back to some of those verses that I missed, though, it, when we're being productive and moving. In Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That means giving ourselves to him and doing what he asks. I love this verse too. Not many people probably come across this one and think about this, but Acts 21 verse 9 says, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Does anybody know who this is talking about? Philip, yeah. And it's interesting to see in the Bible that there were four women who were unmarried who were actually doing something really productive with their time. They weren't waiting around, they were prophesying. And that's, a, that's good news from some of us. We can, we can do something productive. We don't have to wait. And 1 Corinthians 7.34 says, An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. So we can be singly focused on doing God's work too while we're single. And so... How do we prepare for a happy marriage though? This is one thing, obviously I don't see too many people who come to me because they have a happy marriage. That, would be, that wouldn't be very productive to go to your therapist or go to a therapist to talk about your happy marriage. It'd be nice for me, that would be fun to, to hear that every once in a while. But some people, you know, they come because they didn't do all this other work beforehand and they didn't pay attention to some of the things I want to share with you. And so I want to help you prepare if you're still single for some things that you can do. So what are the things that you should avoid? This is one of the biggest ones that I see affecting relationships nowadays. And I know in this room that there is somebody who's struggling with this as well, maybe multiple people, but porn and sexual immorality, having sex before marriage, being too promiscuous or having too much um, physical contact in your relationship, but especially porn. And one of, the, one of the sad things that often happens is when I hear, and this is usually women, not that it's isolated to women only, but women tell me, you know, 
my boyfriend told me before we got married, or my husband told me before we got married, that his porn issue wasn't really that big of a deal, and that if we got married, he wouldn't have to struggle with that anymore because we would be married and he could act out that way. And so he wouldn't have to look at porn. Well, that might last for maybe a couple months, but what do you think happens after the novelty of marriage wears off? The addiction resumes. And so if you're struggling with, with pornography, I encourage you to get help for this. This will not make your marriage any better. In fact, marriage is supposed to be God is number one and your spouse is number two. But your spouse can never be number two if porn is number one. You cannot have a healthy relationship with that. And for those of you who might be in a relationship with someone who is struggling with this, I urge you to disconnect from that person until they get better and they have at least, and I'm going to, this is, I'm being very generous, at least a year of no problems with porn. No viewing of more porn, no involvement with porn. Because it's far too often that the opposite is going to happen, that that relationship will be burdened and I can't tell you how many times I hear somebody tell me how it's ruined their relationship. And there are other things, too, that can ruin a relationship that are, you know, equivalent to this as well. But porn is a bigger issue than we often talk about. And I know in a place like this, we want to believe that nobody's struggling with it. But I can tell you that is not the case. That is why I'm bringing it up, because there are people in this room that are either struggling with it or know somebody who is, and I want to talk about it because of that. And so it's very important that you have a morally pure life before you get into a relationship, because that will not be helped any by having that relationship. That other person will not be able to stop you. And please do not think that you can help somebody else overcome that, just because you're in a relationship with them. You are not that powerful. Only God can do that work, okay? Number two, poor hygiene and intemperance. Now, when I say poor hygiene, I know you all think like, oh, well, I shower every day. But this is not just showering and brushing your teeth, although those things are very helpful if you do them. <laughs> but I'm talking about even sleep hygiene, you know, somebody who doesn't have very good sleep hygiene or, you know, these kinds of things. And I'm not saying these because, you know, I, I grew up in a home where my parents didn't know all these health laws and things like that. When, we, when, when I was growing up, my parents were just learning. They were brand new Adventists. And so, you know, I didn't think anything of staying up late. But I realized more and more I function a lot better when I get good sleep. And I get good sleep at certain times versus other times. You, some of you have already heard this, but sleeping from midnight to 8 a.m. is not the same as going to bed at 9 and waking up at 5. It's not the same quality of sleep. And I had a roommate, this was a different one, who, because of her relationship, they started going to bed at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and then he was having trouble, and it caused, it was, he was, um, having more sleep issues, and so she started going to bed later and later with him, and I, I mean, unless something has changed, they'll go to bed at like five o'clock in the morning. But do you know what they're also both dealing with? Depression and anxiety. And so you're bringing another problem into the relationship if you're not taking good care of yourself, and all the things that God asks us to do are good for us. And so sometimes it's just an appreciation of the things that God has already given us. But to have proper hygiene and temperance in our lives is really important. That can include substances and other things of the like. But to have a really healthy life, you want to be the best version of yourself going into a relationship. So start with that now. How about difficulties in personalities and drama? Here's another thing I hear sometimes. Did you know this is actually why Abraham Lincoln married Mary Todd? Because she th thought, he thought she was a very vivacious woman. But what did he also learn being married to her? She was crazy. <laughs> right? She was literally crazy. Did you, did you know she bought 200 pairs of gloves one time in a shopping spree? 
that's not normal, <laughs> right? But sometimes, here's the thing, you know, boring isn't always bad. I say that, I don't literally mean boring, but sometimes some of us are attracted to very difficult personalities because we see them as exciting. But what happens when you're married to that every single day? It can be very frustrating. It can be very wearing. It can be very burdensome. And sometimes people have a hard time when the marriage plays out because they thought what seemed exciting in the beginning actually turned out to be very difficult in the long term. How about unwillingness to apologize? This is actually one of the things I love about my husband. He's actually better at this than I am. <laughs> I'm being honest. But he's very good at apologizing. And some people are not very good at apologizing. And I mean like good apologizing, not I'm sorry this bothers you. <laughs> but I'm sorry I did something that wasn't healthy or helpful and that sort of thing. How about unwillingness to grow? Do all of you want to grow and get better and be healthier in mind, body, and spirit? How is it if you meet somebody and they don't want to grow, though? They don't want to change. They don't want to do anything. And I'm not saying change ultimately who you are, but to just continue to be the same and stagnate. And also the last thing, someone who's unconverted. I want, I want you to seriously think about this one because I know in this room there will be some people who will be convinced, because I've heard this many times, but there are no decent guys in the Adventist church. So I met this guy, and he's so nice and everything. And then they decide to pair up with this person, and what winds up happening? They no longer practice the things that they value. And if you ever want to read all kinds of examples of this, and a book that's considered to some as archaic, but I think is very timely, Letter, Letters to Young Lovers by Ellen White. There's a letter to Laura and a letter to Rose that you need to read. And these are women who believed that, oh, you know, this guy loves me or this guy is kind, so he's going to be so great. And they were encouraged to stay away from that person. By the way, how do, you think, how do you think the serpent approached Eve in the tree? Was he mean and ugly? He was beautiful, and I'm sure he was very nice. And we're told that he actually acted as though he wanted her best interest, or he had her best interest in mind. But what wound up happening? She was deceived by that. And sometimes we will say things like, oh, this person is so nice and so good. But in actuality, if they're not living by God's word and the things that we know to be true, what are they actually doing? And they may not even be aware of it, but that's okay when we're aware of it. We can still say no to those relationships. And I know that you can say all kinds of things and try to convince me otherwise and say your relationship is the exception. But I will tell you that most likely it's the rule. And you will be hurt. And you will find yourself in a place very far down a road that you didn't intend on going. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 31, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We're also told in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And I know there's somebody in here thinking, but this person's a Christian. They may not be an Adventist, but they're a Christian. But what is still true? Together with unbelievers, so they don't believe the same things that I believe. That makes them an unbeliever in some of the things. If, whether it's the Sabbath and other things, they're unbelievers. And so I have no right to be yoked with that person. 
And so one of the, I, me I mentioned this recommendation, read Letters to Young Lovers and also Adventist Home. These are great books to set yourself straight when it comes to thinking about being in a relationship. Also, time plus experience equals trust. This is one of my favorite formulas besides the other one that I mentioned. But a lot of times we want to rush into relationships and it's important that not only do you have time, but other experiences. So if you see somebody only in the same situation over and over and over again, you're not actually experiencing them. Experience them with their friends, experience them with their family, see what they're like in all different types of situations. That's the only way that you know that you can trust somebody. Another thing, premarital counseling. Now I wanna say something, I know that there are a lot of pastors out there who do this, but some of them do it in a very, very minimal way. I wanna encourage you to find somebody that does extensive premarital counseling, not just let me see if you, you know, fill out the survey the same way and okay, I guess I'll marry you kind of thing. But do some ex extensive counseling with somebody who's done this many times before with couples and somebody that you can trust to tell you the truth too. Seek godly counsel and investigate. It's okay to ask people who know that person, hey, what do you think about this person? Don't think that you're gonna know everything about them because sometimes we show a certain side of ourselves with someone that we don't show everyone else. And so it's important to investigate and find out that person. Um, some of you are thinking it means go on social media and look at their background. That might work too. Um, and start improving on the little things. Like I mentioned before, there are little things in our lives. If you notice that you have a difficult time with certain things, like maybe your temper, start improving on that. Read books. There's great books on forgiveness, anger, all kinds of things. Learn those things and practice those as well. Also, prayer and fasting. This is one of the things that, that I did when I was dating my husband because you know, you can be a therapist, but then you will start to wonder like, but am I even making a wise decision on this? I need to ask God. He's the only one that can tell me whether this is a true match for me. And so I prayed and fasted. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is the very first time that, that I started fasting is my husband actually called me up and he said, hey, would you, what do you think about fasting? And I thought, wow, I was just thinking that same exact thing. I hadn't said it to anybody. I'd only contemplated it. And here he was calling at the same time to want to do the same thing with, with me, not together, but fasting on our own and, and praying. And have other people pray and fast for you too. So when it came time to, when my husband and I started talking about marriage, I actually thought to myself, should I get married? I didn't know if I should get married, which was ironic because I actually wanted to get married for so long before that, but I had created a life for myself that I was actually really proud of, I was really happy with, and I started to feel a little guilty because I, I had really reconciled with God. I said, I remember talking to him and I said, you know, I, obviously marriage is something that crosses my mind and I want to do, but I don't know, I kind of feel like maybe I could be happy living this life. I have everything else in my life except for this one thing, but I'm happy to give that up if, if that's what you're asking me to do, to be single and show people that you can be happy and be single. And I remember thinking, you know, like I'm talking with my husband while well, he was my boyfriend at the time. I'm talking with him, but there is this part of me that's like, I'm not sure if, if I should do this. I, and I thought, this is so ironic. Like, people want to get married. Why am I thinking this? And it, and it dawned on me because I was truly in a good place. There wasn't anything that I wanted or needed that God hadn't already given me, and I was truly content. And the only thing that I, was, that I contemplated with that was, you know, this person, and I had this in a previous slide, this person that God's put in my life, it seems quite miraculous that he came into my life in the first place. It seems quite miraculous that everything that we have talked about, we agree on, like everything we talked about, we've agreed on. 
obviously there's little things because one of the jokes we have in therapy is if two people always agree one is not necessary in a marriage so yes we have a mind of our own and we're both actually equally stubborn about things but we agree on so many things and i and i thought to myself is this the kind of person that enhances my life and brings me closer to god and i couldn't say no to that i knew that he would be a good helpmate in my life and i could do that for him and he was very supportive and he knew what i did and he was actually retiring. So by the way, ladies, if you have to wait a long time, one of the best things about waiting until you're old to get married is your husband could be retired and has lots of time to help you. <laughs> My husband cooks, he cleans, um, he does stuff around the yard. Sometimes I feel bad because I used to do all that stuff myself and I feel kind of lazy now that I don't have to do all of it. But he truly is a helper in my life and very supportive. And um, I didn't see any reason not to go forward. And we have had a happy marriage. This is us, by the way. This is the first trip he came out to California to visit me. And this is the American River. There's a lot more water in it now. That was when it was quite dried up. But that's us. And um, he keeps that smile on my face quite often. So it's a very happy place to be. And I'm actually really glad I waited. Really glad I waited. You know, we're told that when we get to heaven, whatever we had to give up on this earth will be cheap enough. And I truly believe that there's not anything, none of the past relationships I have, do I ever look back and go, oh, I wonder what would have happened because that would have been so much better. Not that at all. Like I'm very, very happy with where I am. And I'm also very happy because I spent the time to also figure out that not everything about marriage is super easy. That other person is a person who's gonna bring out things in you that maybe God wants to change. And so when I see those things happen, I'm actually grateful now because I know better. Like this is a person who's actually helping God work on me. And I get to see those things in me. If I was by myself, I thought I was wonderful by myself. I didn't have any problems. Nobody complained. I was perfectly happy with me. But having, having him there is a reminder that I'm still working out my salvation. And so I'm grateful for him, and I know he's grateful for me, too, and helping him with that. So what to do if you haven't found that someone? There are actually some benefits to being single, by the way, and this is all research-based. One is you have a time to think. You have lots of time to think. And for some of you who don't like to think too much, here's a case for it. There's a term called repetition compulsion. Did you know that when we're in difficult relationships, and that even comes all the way from our parent-child relationships, our family relationships, do you know that we often feel a compulsion to repeat patterns in our past? And if we don't take time to think about some of those unhealthy patterns, we'll just keep repeating them in our relationships. So that single time, like truly single, not just I'm dating perpetually, serially, but that true single time gives you a chance to learn about yourself, read books, do therapy, and all kinds of things to learn what might your patterns be that you don't want to take into the next relationship, especially if you plan to get married. You have more time for physical activity. Between married, divorced, and never married people, never married people actually have more time to be physically active. You don't have to think of somebody else before you decide how you're going to plan your physical activity. Do you know you're better at keeping friends? When you're single. Yeah, you're more attentive to friends and family because you don't have any distractions from that. Do you know that people who are single are actually financially better off? This was a, some research that was done recently. It just came out. 21% of single people have credit card debt compared to 27% married and 36% married with kids. That doesn't mean you have to have credit card debt, by the way. You can, have, you can be credit card debt free even when you're married, but there's a lot likely. And it might be because not everybody who gets married has the same views on finances too. Success at work. You can have a lot more meaningful time at work. I think this is one of the reasons why Paul said it's better 
to be alone like I am because he could focus singly on his work for the Lord. And less stress. Ellen White mentions, she likes this term 99 out of 100. She uses it a lot, but especially with marriages, she says there are 99 out of 100 marriages that are unhappy marriages. So you have the, you have, if you're not married, can't be in an unhappy marriage. And then you can appreciate alone time, being self-sufficient and learning how to do things. So that's another benefit of being single. And again, here Paul says, but I say unto the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Those who are married, this is for you. So if you've been plugging along with us, this is for you. Single, divorced, and widowed people need connection. Don't just invite other couples and families, but include singles too. They can be great friends too. One of the things I loved about being here is I was the third wheel in a lot of my friendships. But if they didn't mind, I didn't mind either. I had the benefit of hanging out with a lot of couples, some older, some younger, younger my age. Make it clear that you're married. I know this sounds funny, but I know not everybody in this room wears a ring. <laughs> and when you're single, it's nice to know that people are married. Some people are very, very friendly and just put in there, oh yeah, my husband or my wife or something like that. It makes it a lot easier on your single friends to know if you're available or not and if they should even go that place. I remember I went to a, a gym and there's this really nice guy that worked out at the same time I did every night. And I loved how he just threw in his girlfriend every once in a while in the conversation. So I knew exactly where I stood with him and it helped me respect him a lot more too that he would talk about her. But he was just a really nice guy and I thought that was helpful. Be a godly support to your single, unmarried and widowed friends. And don't focus on finding them a spouse and talking about marriage all the time. Focus on involvement and purpose and other things. I know it's easy to talk about relationships and getting together and matchmaking and everything, but I think there are bigger things that we can talk about. And then pray for your single friends. God sets the lonely in families. I love this verse. This is something that I claimed when I was single. And by the way, if you're married and you already have a family, you can be a family. So this is also an urgent urgency and directive to you that if you have a family, be that family for somebody who's single. And I love this verse as well. David says, you make known to me the path of life you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And I think the focus is that, you know, when we spend time with God and we're singly focused on him, he will make known to us the path of life. We can have an even more productive and blessed life with him than we could even have necessarily if we were married without him, obviously. And it says, you will fill me with joy in your presence. So we can actually be happy in his presence, even without anything else. And eternal pleasures at your right, are at your right hand. Sometimes what we have here, we value too much and we're actually compromising on heavenly things. But when we stay close to God, he will give us a view of those heavenly things to come. And one of the things that I think is most important is to remember that when Jesus came to this earth, he never got married. Where was his focus? He was singly focused on doing God's will. So this time in your life, if you are not married, take advantage of it and ask God what he would have you do with this time and ask him the best way to use this time and then stay focused on that and let God lead you if marriage is for you in this time. But I think we're getting so close to the end that this should never be the first priority never be the first priority. And I think, I think that's a good, good thought to end on. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Lord, for sending us Christ and for his volunteering to come to this earth. And I think about how he left everything to come and be singly minded on us. And Lord, help us to be singly minded on him and to do his will and his good pleasure. And thank you for promising pleasures evermore for us if we'll, we'll do those things. The things on this earth 
are nothing and you tell us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and that all these things will be added and so thank you Lord that when we get to heaven we will not look at anything on this earth and wish we had had a trip somewhere or a person that we will only be focused on what heaven has to offer and we thank you for those things and we ask these things in Jesus' name amen this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www dot audioverse dot org.